Lord, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we praise you for every blessing, every good thing that you give to us, Lord, is from you. We know, Lord, that even the difficulties in life, Lord, are orchestrated by you in our lives so that we can draw near to you, so we could be desperate for heaven and searching for you, Lord, and looking forward to that day ahead. The glory, glory is appearing of our Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that as, t- as today we gather as a family, as a fellowship, Lord, we bring honor and glory to you. Lord, we bring the gifts and offerings that you have given us, Lord. We return, give them to you, Lord, so you can use it in according to your will and your purpose, Lord, for our fellowship uh, to support, Lord, uh, the ministry, missionaries, the Bible, uh, going out to all the world, Lord. We ask you and thank you for every single blessing that you give it to us, Lord, through this church. And we ask you, Lord, as we uh, pray and our hearts are broken for those who are persecuted today, Lord. Jesus said that they will, that would happen. It will happen more and more before he would return. And, Lord, we ask you for those, uh, our brothers and sisters, Lord, in Sudan, from Nigeria to, uh, Lord, to Kenya, to the Middle East, to Syria, to Egypt, Lord, that are suffering uh, vividly, Lord, for the word of God and for their testimony. Lord, we pray for their enemies as well. And we ask you to give us the grace, Lord God, to remember them and remember them in their cha- and their chains, Lord, as we were, as if we were with them in our chains. So, Lord, we pray that if difficult times come, that we'll be able to learn from them and be, uh, that their example to us how to stand firm, be faithful, have a testimony, and not uh, not neglect, Lord God, the freedoms that we have right now to proclaim the truth, to live for Christ, and to uh, be a testimony to a people that need to know before it's too late. Lord, we praise you and honor you today, Lord, with your word as we worship you in the studying of your word. Uh, Lord, help us to understand it and apply it. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You may be seated and turn to Luke chapter 5. And I'm very excited about this passage because it deals with two miracles, two miracles and, uh, and we should be excited about God's word. It's not a, it's not a hum-hum, drum-drum sort of thing. It should be a, uh, a very important part of our worship of God, and that is that we study to show ourselves approved unto the Lord, uh, being a workman, not needing to be ashamed, rightly and straightly, straightly dealing with the word of God. We cut it straight is the word, to, uh, to rightly divide, to cut straight. We cut straight the word of God. That means that we give it forward in the correct manner and in a straightforward manner with no deviation. And this is what it says in Luke chapter 5, verse 12. There are two healings. One's a cleansing. The other one's a healing, but they both have to do with sin and salvation, which is a part of Luke in the, in the, in the theme of, the Luke, uh, of Luke, the, uh, the, the writer of the, of the book, is that salvation and uh, miracles are part of God's plan. Uh, it's part of what Jesus did, but they're an important part of the ministry of Jesus to point out something greater than just a miracle. We focus on the miracle and we'll miss the greater part of what God has for us, and that is salvation, which is a big theme in Luke. Read with me in verse 12 of chapter 5. While Jesus was in, uh, was in one of the towns, we're told by Mark that this was near Capernaum, there was uh, one who came who had a ser- serious disease. He was a leper. He had leprosy all over him. When he saw Jesus, he fell, he fell to the ground, face down, and he begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Reaching out, uh, reaching out his hands, Jesus touched him and said, I am willing, be made clean. And immediately the disease left him, and he ordered him to tell no one. But go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses prescribed for 
your cleansing as a testimony to the priest or to them. But the news about Jesus spread even more, and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places, and he prayed. One of those days, while he was teaching, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea, and also from Jerusalem. And the Lord's power was there to heal. It was, it was in him to heal them. Just then, just then, some men came carrying on a stretcher a man who was paralyzed. They tried to bring him and set him down before him. Since they could not find a way to bring him because of the crowd, they went up to the roof and lowered him on the stretcher through the roof tiles in the middle of the crowd before Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. Then the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, Who is this man who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied to them, Why are you reasoning this in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Get up and walk? But you may, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, pick up your stretcher uh, or your bed and go home. And immediately he got up before them, picked up what he had been laying on and went home glorifying God. Then everyone was astound, astounded, astonished, and they were giving glory to God and they were filled with awe. Uh, the King James says they were filled with fear. It's the same word, awe. And they said, we have seen incredible things today. What a beautiful passage. Two healings. I remember last time we read in Luke, Jesus had done a miracle, but this miracle had been with fish. Now he has uh, two miracles. We see in Luke two miracles that deal with men. Later on, we see another miracle that deals with the storm and then another miracle that deals with the multiplication of the food. But here we have two miracles, and one of them is pretty amazing. They're both amazing, but the first one, it's, it's really intriguing. It intrigues a lot of scholars today, even today, regarding leprosy. Go back to uh, verse 12. When he was one of the towns, a man there who had a serious disease, this is a skin disease, this is leprosy, came to Jesus, fell face down, and he begged them, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, this leprosy has really intrigued a lot of people. What is leprosy? Uh, the Old Testament talks a lot about it. There's New Testament passages about leprosy. And many people have tried to make a case that it's Hansen's disease, what we see today, uh, called today Hansen's disease. Uh, I wish we had some, some PowerPoint. I didn't do a PowerPoint today, uh, but it would have been really nice to have it. I'll bring it next week. Leprosy. Uh, leprosy, it's not necessarily Hansen's disease, which is known today as a very serious skin disease, uh, because in the book of Numbers, we see that leprosy actually were on the walls, and it permeated the walls like mold. And uh, people are intrigued by that, because if it's a bacteria, bacteria cannot live airborne for that long. Uh, some viruses can, but bacteria normally doesn't. And if this was um, Hansen's disease, Hansen's disease cannot live without a host, airborne. And so many people wonder if Hansen's disease is really leprosy. I would say that it probably is not Hansen's disease. Uh, but because of that, then what is it? Okay, you've got a problem. You say it's not, it's not it, then what is it? 
Uh, we don't know. That's the most honest answer. And uh, if they're honest about it, scholars will tell you they don't know. They don't know what leprosy was because it permeated through walls. It could be, uh, it could be in contact. It could infect somebody. Um, some say it was a very rare form of eczema, very, very extreme form of eczema. Um, our, our daughter, JL, when she was about one and a half, had a very strong form of eczema, but it wasn't leprosy. Uh, but all we know is that it was very powerful. It was so powerful that in the Old Testament, as we're going to read, uh, people that had it were not allowed to come in contact with, uh, with those who didn't have it. They were actually excluded from the camp, and they were put, us, put, up, put outside the camp and are forced to live on their own. And so by the time we get to the New Testament, you see that these lepers were outcast. They were literally outcast of society. They could not come to the temple. They could not come to the houses. They couldn't dwell with their families. It was a very sad and isolated life. And this is what this leper that comes to Jesus, he comes with that background. Uh, but let's go to the Old Testament very quickly. Turn to Numbers chapter 5. Numbers chapter 5. Let's read something about leprosy that it tells us about in the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 5, leprosy well known in the Old Testament. In fact, uh, we know that there was a provision for the cleansing of leprosy, and that person had to go to the priest and had to show himself to the priest or herself to the priest, uh, and they had to be inspected. If the, if the leprosy was gone, then they were allowed to come into the camp and regain their former status again. But if it persisted, they couldn't come back. And the priests had to inspect them. So you actually, if you had any spots, the early signs of leprosy, red spots, you would go to the priest and they would inspect you from head to toe. And then they would say, unclean, unclean. And you would have to leave your house, your business, your family, and be basically reclusive. You had to go somewhere outside the camp. Uh, very sad, but if you felt like, if, what, if the priest felt that it wasn't leprosy, they would just, okay, this is maybe just a rash or maybe some kind of measles, and you could, uh, it'll, it'll pass, and then you, can, uh, you don't have to leave. Uh, and so th there was a provision, though, that if, if you did have leprosy and you were cleansed from it, you would go to the priest, present yourself to the priest, and you would give a sacrifice. Uh, meaning that God had cleansed you, God had, had cleansed you from that uh, disease, and you were now allowed to now you were allowed to come back into the camp, and you were free to practice what you were doing before, your business, your family, everything else. Uh, but the strange thing about that, we don't have any uh, medicine for leprosy. The only way you could be cleansed from leprosy was an act of God. God had to cleanse you. God had to completely remove it, and but there was a provision. <laughs> That if God did it, you can go to the priest and you can go to the high priest and show yourself before the priest and bring an offering. And you were there in Numbers chapter 5. I spoke too long, but let's look what it says. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel that they put out of the camp every leper, everyone who has a discharge, and whoever becomes defiled by a corpse. You shall, not put, you shall put out both male and female and shall put them aside the camp that may not defile their camps in the midst in which I dwell. And the children of Israel did so and put them outside the camp as the Lord spoke to Moses. So the children of Israel did that as well. Now, this is interesting. There was in the Old Testament, and this is, remember, this is the Old Covenant. So sometimes we have to, uh, I hear people, on, uh, you know, non-believers, believers, sometimes they get this confused and they, they, they figure we have to live under the Old Covenant laws. 
And so they say, well, I don't want to follow the Bible because, look, the Bible says that if you have a disease, you have to live outside your home. And it's, it's, remember, this is the Old Covenant. There are things about the Old Covenant that God was teaching us uh, that when the New Covenant of Jesus appeared, when he appeared, when he came to fulfill the law, then all these things make sense. All these things began to make sense. Why were they people that were unclean? Why were they told to go outside the camp? Uh, what was the uncleanness about? Well, what is it? You've had a disease now. You can't go to church. You have to leave your home. Uh, well, in some, in some cases, it's interesting. If you have a serious disease, you actually go to a, in containment units. They actually keep you in quarantine. That's true. Uh, but the Old Testament had these provisions where if there was something infectious, you could not live within the camp of Israel. You actually consider unclean and were kept outside. In fact, there were temporary uncleanness. And this is one of them, male, female. There were uh, ritually uh, things that you would do in the temple. You would go and offer sacrifices. And if you were not clean because you came in contact with uh, a corpse, uh, you came in contact with a, 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 a dead body, then you would, uh, you would not be able to practice your sacrifices, go to the temple, offer uh, worship. You were kept outside. You had to wait a certain amount of time. And you see these things in the Old Testament. You go, why the persistence of God making sure that it's clean? Well, for one, Israel had to know that God, is, was, the, God was the one true God, and he was holy, and he would not allow uncleanness, uh, um, you know, basically ritual uncleanness to come near him. It, you had to be clean. Does that mean that now, if you didn't take a bath today or didn't brush your teeth, that you couldn't come near to God? Uh, no, that's not the case. Otherwise, maybe some of us wouldn't come today, right? Uh, but the idea was that there was something unclean, something that was unclean that kept us away from God. God was a holy God, and there was something about uncleanliness that God needed to deal with, and you couldn't come near to God. Interesting thing is, it's the, the, the one thing that the New Testament talks about is the uncleanliness of sin. It's the iniquity in our hearts that God needs to deal with. And then 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sin, Jesus Christ is faithful to and just to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us, uh, cleanse us, catharsis, from all unrighteousness. He cleanses us. That's the ultimate iniquity. That's the ultimate uncleanliness, you would say. It's sin. It's not the fact that you didn't bathe or the fact that you're originally unclean. It's the fact that you, we are sinful people. We're fallen we're falling from our creator. We're falling from creation. It says in Genesis 3 that man rebelled against God. And that is our ultimate rebellion, as an ultimate fall. And God has to come as a man and redeem us to make us worthy to come near him. And as the book of Hebrews says, we can come only one way, right? Through the veil that is his flesh, the death of Jesus, we are allowed to come back in through the new and living way. His blood makes a way for us to come back to the Lord. Amen? That's the only way. But the uncleanliness of the Old Testament were, as you could say, was a shadow. Remember, Hebrews says all these Old Testament things were shadows. They're types, figures. You figure all these Old Testament things. I go, what does that have to do with anything? It has to do with the way Jesus redeems us. It has to do with the way Jesus cleanses us. Not from diseases necessarily, but from sin ultimately. Because that's really our biggest, our biggest battle. That's the ultimate thing for man is sin keeps us from God and keeps us from heaven. It keeps us from his presence. And so we have to be clean. We have to come before the Lord clean. Uh, don't take a, if, you, if we sin today, showers are not going to cleanse you. It has to come only through, as the old hymn says, through Emmanuel's veins, right? There's a fountain from Emmanuel's veins that flows. And, and sinners, what does it say? Plunge. Anyone know that song? No? 
I'm having a hard time remembering. I was counting on you. But sinners plunge in this fountain, lose all their guilty sting or guilty shame, something like that. We'll touch, trust some of the hymns. Where's Jasper? He knows all these hymns. But it's a, it's a beautiful fountain. It comes from God. It comes from Jesus, his veins, his blood cleanses from all sin. Now, these ceremonially unclean, there were people that if you touched a dead person, you couldn't come near the Lord. Now, this were, you can see that's maybe harsh. You say, man, that's pretty harsh. I mean, God is really serious about this. In the New Testament, we're not told that this is something that would make us unclean. We're told that if we defile ourselves with sin, if we defile ourselves with sin, uh, we need to get cleansed by the Lord before we come into the fellowship with the Lord again. In fact, uh, to, to the church in Corinth, Paul tells us that if somebody among you is unclean, I mean sinful, unwilling to change or repent, that we're to withdraw fellowship from that person. I say, oh, Pastor, that's so mean. That's... Well, there's something about leprosy that mirrors sin so much, and that it's, it is spread. Turn to Deuteronomy 24. Deuteronomy 24. And in Deuteronomy, we're told something about uh, of, of the, the Lord telling his people, and reminding them about leprosy, an outbreak. Deuteronomy 24.8. So we know that leprosy was dealt with very severely. We're told that if anybody had it, had to go outside the camp. But we're also told about an outbreak. Look what it says in verse 8 of Deuteronomy 24. Take heed in an outbreak of leprosy, that you carefully observe and do according to all that the priests, the Levites, shall teach you, just as I commanded them, so that you should be careful to do. Remember what the Lord, of God, the Lord your God did to Miriam on the way when you came out of Egypt. One other aspect of, of, of leprosy, we'll deal with that maybe in a moment, is that it was also a judgment. If you remember the story of Miriam, she did not want Moses to be the prophet. She thought she should be head. And God, uh, there was a judgment upon Miriam because of, uh, of, of that very thing. And, and she had leprosy from head to toe. Uh, now God healed her and God brought her back. Uh, but it was a judgment. Also in Second Chronicles, we're told that Uzziah, Uzziah was a king. And he wanted to go and do the work of a priest. Remember that story? No? Okay. Read it. Second Chronicles 24. You should go home and read it. And he goes in. He's a king, a good king. He wasn't a bad guy. He was a good king. And uh, he goes in the temple, and he wants to do sacrifices. Now, the Old Testament tells us there was only one person that could do sacrifices in the temple, Holy of Holies. That was a high priest. Had to be a descendant of Aaron. Could not be a descendant of Judah, which Uzziah was. And he goes, and he tries to do the sacrifices. The priests try to stop him. Don't do this, Uzziah. This is not good for you to do that. It's reserved for only the anointed one of God, and that's the high priest. And he still does it, rebels against God. Bam. Leprosy. It was a judgment. It was a judgment upon Uzziah, a judgment upon Miriam. So it's, it's an aspect of leprosy that I uh, don't want to get into it too much, but there's something about leprosy that it's a judgment upon people that rebelled against the Lord. It's really interesting. But in, um, here in Deuteronomy 24, the outbreak of leprosy had to be monitored because it spread. It spread rapidly. In fact, if you, in the Old Testament, if you had a home and you thought that they were leprosy, uh, pores of leprosy in your wall, you would call the priest, the priest would come and he would inspect the walls and if it wasn't good, a house must come down. They regulated it so well or so harshly, you would say, 
because they would not, they didn't want the outbreak of leprosy. Because if you had it, then somebody else is going to get it, and all of a sudden, everybody had it. And, and isn't that a, a, a vivid picture of what sin does? Uh, we're told in the New Testament to be careful about the leaven, about not spreading, because the, a, a little bit of leaven leavens everything. In fact, if in the fellowship there's people that sin willfully without repentance, that it's, it even says not to fellowship with them. So, Pastor, that's so hard. Well, it doesn't say the world. It says people in church that, are, that consider themselves Christians, but sin without any repentance. It says be careful to associate with them that you approve of their sin, lest you become like that, lest you become and approve and you fall into that same sin. There's something about the sin within the church. Remember, God says to, Paul says to deal with the sin in the church. Don't deal with the sin in the world. We're not supposed to judge that. That's already being judged by the Lord because of the unbelief of the gospel. It has to be done in-house. And if it's something in-house, it has to be dealt rightly with the Lord. And one of the things is you might say, well, that's unbelievable. That really happens? You know what? We're so far and distant from, from the New Testament sometimes, we don't even remember those verses are there. And, and we go about just different things, and we say, oh, it's just, well, pastor, you're so harsh, and you're so difficult to deal with that. We just deal with what the Word of God says, and, it's, and it's, I've seen it. I've experienced this. I've seen it where one sin permeates the whole camp. You know what's one sin that happens in every church and everywhere and every place that we go? You got it. <laughs> Somebody was going, rumors, rumors and gossip, right? Especially about the pastor. It happens everywhere. It happens every time. And it happens more than I can think of. And it easily spreads. Did you know that? And I don't like his shirt. And, you know, and it's summertime. Why is he wearing black? He should wear something more Hawaiian or something. And it becomes, it displeases people. And becomes infectious. It actually infects a lot of people. Even, even people that would say, I would never have done that. And you get caught up in it, so easily get caught up in it. And, and, and we have to be careful. We have to be careful with sin in our own life. Remember, it's the sin in my own life that I have to be careful with. Uh, it's not even the sin in your own life that I have to be careful with. It's the sin in my own heart and life that I have to have it checked before the Lord. Remember, we talked about that last week. Paul says, I can't even, I can't even judge myself because I don't even know sometimes how corrupt I can be. God has to show me. I mean, what God, once God shows me, I can deal with it. But until then, he says, I have to be careful, even by my own life and heart, how I deal with things. Because God has to show me. But once God shows me that I, I'm a sinful man and God needs to deal with me, then I could come to the Lord as a sinful man needing forgiveness and needed to change. So that's in Deuteronomy. Leprosy, you were disfellowship from the camp. You were put outside the camp. It was contagious. It had to be dealt with, had to be regulated. And the only way to deal with it was God had to cleanse you. And if he did, you went to the high priest and you showed yourself and the high priest would receive the sacrifice and you were clean, you were cleansed. And it was, it was awesome, but it had to be a work of God. In the book of Second uh, Kings, we're told that there was a Syrian general named uh, Naaman who was a leper. And God, uh, it's a beautiful story. I don't even have time to go into it. It's, it's like the clock is my enemy again. Uh, but Naaman is, has leprosy. He's like a four-star general, incredible general. He's not a Jew. He is from uh, the, the Assyrian Empire. And he's told by one of the captives, a little young girl, one of the captives tells Naaman that there is a 
Jew, there's a prophet in Israel that can deal with his leprosy, <laughs> that can deal with his leprosy. And he just goes down there. He just, you know, he's the, 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 the king tells him to go down there. And he goes down to the prophet's house. He goes to Elisha's house. And he's in Elisha's house, and, and he's, he's thinking that Elisha's going to come out, and he's going to give him the red carpet deal. He's going to go, and dun, 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 the red, you know, here comes Naaman. And everybody had to salute, and it was like, you know, like Mao or like Stalin or something. You know, just everybody had to bow down to this man. And, and, and Elisha doesn't even come out. He sends his servant. So you just tell him this. And he goes out, and uh, this is a servant of uh, Elisha, yeah, Mr. Mr. Uh, Syrian, Mr. Naaman. Uh, the prophet said to go down to the river and bow your, and, and dunk yourself in the water of the river seven times, and you'll be cleansed. Have a good day. And the general is infuriated. He's had it. How dare this lowly Jew comes out? Does he know who I am? I'm a four-star general. And this, how can, and then he's mad, and he's, he leaves. He takes off. On the way, one of his, one of his servants, a wise servant, says, oh, Master, Come on, what, what have you got to lose? You're a leper. You're probably going to die. And yes, he didn't come out and you know, bow down and give you flowers and you weren't on TMZ and all that stuff. You didn't come out. Okay, fine. But just go. Just go. I mean, what do you got to lose? Fine. He goes and he says, seven times, seven times, dunk, seven times. He strips all of his, you know, he, everything has to come off. All his armor, all his gear, all his accolades, all his, uh, all that he had accumulated comes off. He's stripped down to his uh, loincloth and he's a dunk seven times. And he doesn't want to do it, but he, okay, fine, we'll do it. He goes, one, two, and, you know, Naaman, come on, Naaman. Everybody's encouraging, come on, Naaman, just get it done, man, seven times. And he's dunking himself in, he's go, he's, and he goes to the Jordan River, right? And he's mad because the Jordan River is a dirty river. It is true. If you've been to Israel, it is really a dirty river. And he says, we have better rivers than Syria. This is, this is a joke. Jordan, river, dirty, low. And he's got to get really low. Remember? He's got to get really low to get, because he's got to dunk. He's got to go under the water. And so he's got to go. He's got to strip everything off, all his accolades as a general. And he's got to get really low to get into the water. And he's got to obey the prophet, right? One, come on, Naaman, you can do it, Naaman. Two, oh, come on. You know, he's like, I had it. I'm not going to do this. Three, come on, four more times. Five, six, seven times he comes out and he's clean. His face, his body is like a baby. It's, a, it's an amazing miracle. And he goes home, he glorifies the Lord. What was the whole point of that? You know, it has to do with salvation. Everything to do with salvation. Why? You have to get really low. Humble yourself before the Lord. You have to obey the word of God that came from the prophet, right? The, the law and the prophets. You have to strip yourself of all your accolades, all of who you were, all your pride, all your accomplishment. Everything in this life means that before the Lord. Zero. Nada. Right? Oh, come on. I mean, I've done good works, Pastor. I mean, I built churches. I've done great things. And zero before the Lord. Don't, if you try to bring that before God, I mean, it's not going to count. Not only do we have to repent of our bad works, which is really easy, right? I've sinned, I've done this, and I tell you things, and, uh, you know, which will cause all kinds of gossip and rumors if I tell you, but I'm not going to tell you. Just 
In your head, it was bad. Bad works. But I also had to repent of my good works. And that is hard to do. It's hard to do because we think good works should, should count for something, right? I mean, God, I mean, the book of Romans says if uh, we try to go before God with our good works, it's if we're acting like if God owes us something. You know, I go, okay, look, I did this. You owe me. You know, God you must count for something. And is accounted nothing. It says only by faith it accounts for righteousness. It's like Abraham. The example was Abraham. Abraham was a wealthy man, incredible wealthy, but it, nothing amounted for, for his relationship with the Lord. It was only when he believed the promises of God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So Naaman had to humble himself before God, obey the word of God, go down to this Jordan dirty river who he thought is like, what am I doing here? And he comes out absolutely clean. Such a perfect picture of salvation. We must humble ourselves before the Lord. We must strip ourselves of the good works that we have done in trying to bring them to God, thinking that that's going to appeal to God as salvation. A sacrifice that what God wants, it's only one. The only perfect sacrifice. And that's the cross. Okay, And the cross demands for us to be humble, to humble ourselves, meaning that we can't save ourselves. And we have to trust that the man on that cross was God himself dying for us, bleeding for us, so that we can have salvation. But only those who humble themselves can receive that. Because good works will, you know, what? I have to trust that? What about what I have to do? Nothing, my friend. Absolutely nothing. Just receive, like a leper. A leper was absolutely without hope unless God intervened. So go back to Luke now. Let's go back to Luke. So one person's sin can affect it? Absolutely. Just like the leprosy. One person's sin can affect the church? Absolutely. One person with sin, with leaven, can affect the whole lump. And we have to be careful with that. And in the book of Luke, now that I'm back there, it tells us this man came to Jesus. Now let's, let's look what the text says. He fell down before him. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Comes to him with faith. Now, for a leper to come out and be visible... And come to Jesus took a lot of faith, my friend. This is a leper who had a lot of guts. But you know what? Faith will drive you to incredible extents to, to, to reach the Lord. If you truly believe on the Lord, you would go like Naaman. Okay, I'm going to go down to this river and dunk myself seven times in this dirty low river. I mean, think about it. Who, who could do that? But if you trust on the cross, my friend, a rugged cross that to the world looks like foolishness. Isn't that what Paul said to the Corinthians? To the world, it looks like a foolish thing, but to those who believe, it's a glorious thing. Oh, my goodness, the cross. It's, you know, as a Christian, you stop, right? We mentioned the cross, and you think of, of our Lord. You think of his death, his passion, his, 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 his suffering. To the world, do you want me to trust on a cross that had a, had a uh, you know, a, a man there, bloody? I mean, what does that do? Man, my friend, that is the ultimate thing. It's the, it's the glory of God hidden behind human weaknesses. And God loves to do that. God loves to hide his power behind apparent weaknesses. Think about it. Uh, the world demands wisdom. God says, I'm going to give you a cross, and I'm going to give you the Messiah on a cross. The Jews demand a sign. <laughs> the Jews stumble over this cross. The, the, the Greeks, the, the, the us, 
those here that we have a Greek mind, we think of as foolishness. Why? Because it's apparent weaknesses, but God saves us through apparent weaknesses. It's the power of God. Think about it. There's no greater power than the cross of Jesus Christ, but yet it's, it's veiled behind weaknesses, death and suffering. We can't even understand this sometimes. How can God hide his power behind suffering and behind weaknesses? I mean, if Jesus was God, he'd get off that cross and he'd tell the Romans where to go. He could have, but he had to deal with our leprosy first. He had to deal with sin first. And Jesus comes on the scene, the leper sees him, he comes out of the woodworks. We don't know where he was, but he was hiding. He was probably in some rural place. We didn't even know where he was, but they were kept outside the cities. So him being in the area of Capernaum was a, a vivid thing. It's, what's he doing there? That's the first thing you would have thought of. What is a leper doing in that city? Get this guy out of there! He comes desperate. And my friend, we need to come to Jesus very desperate. And uh, um, maybe when you got saved, you were really desperate. But are you the same desperate today? Because you need him just as much as you did that day. It really hasn't changed. You know, oh, Pastor, I'm so sophisticated. 20 years ago, I was really desperate. Now, uh, you know, I, I, I really just come with my, you know, all the knowledge that I've accumulated. Uh, no, my friend, we're desperate still. Very desperate still. And this man comes out of the woodworks, and he runs to Jesus, and it was a taboo. You can't touch him. You can't deal with him. You have to get him out. Call the, I don't know, the pest control or something, the leprosy control department. Get this man out of, the, out of the city. Jesus reaches out his hand and he touches him. It would have made him unclean. would have made him maybe possibly get infected by this disease. And Jesus says, you know what? I'm willing. It's the love and the compassion of God. Why? He was willing to stoop down to our level. He who knew no sin became sin for us. He did not care if he was going to get leprosy. He didn't care if the man was not supposed to be there and he couldn't touch him. He suffered our sins. He did not sin, but he took it upon himself as if he sinned. And so Jesus was willing to touch this man and he says, I'm willing to make you clean. The word clean there, catharsis. It's interesting, it doesn't use the word heal, which we would think of healing a disease. It uses the word for cleansing. Cleanse, as of catharsis, as of sin. He confesses his sins. The Lord is faithful and just to catharsis his sin and cleanse him from all unrighteousness. Right? Catharsis is sin. All unrighteousness can be cleansed by the blood of Christ. And it's the same word that is used about leprosy, which is really interesting, which is why I think leprosy has more to do than just a skin disease. It has to do with the condition of our the human nature. We're all fallen and cannot heal ourselves unless God intervenes miraculously which is salvation, is a miracle, isn't it? Salvation is truly a miracle. You think of, just, just think of me, and just think of what it took to be saved. You knew me then, you would have said, man, it would take a miracle. Somebody would have walked up to me and said, man, in a few years in high school, um, after high school, you're going to get saved, and you're going to walk with the Lord. I said, man, that would be a miracle. And that's what it took, got near. It would take a miracle, amen? You guys, any, any miracles here? Any miracles here? If you're saved, all of your hands should go. Just think of who we were. A leper. That's who we were. Outside of the commonwealth of Israel, Paul says, you Gentiles were outside the promises of God. We were outside. We couldn't even get back in. Why? I'm clean. How can you make me clean? No medicine. God had to act miraculously. 
This man, it was a fortunate day for him. God was walking <laughs> right by his house or by where he was. What an amazing thing. Coincidence? No. I believe Jesus absolutely did everything according to the Father's will. He was right there where God wanted him to be for this man to be there to teach us this lesson. But go your show yourself to the priest, he ordered them. Tell nobody, go to the priest and offer what Moses prescribed to you for cleansing as a testimony to the priest. This is beautiful. He, this was in the Old Testament. If you were cleansed from leprosy, you had to go to the, to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses prescribed for the cleansing as a testimony. To who? To the priest. Why? The priest needed to know, oh, wait a minute, you got healed from uh, what? Hey, uh, Mr. Priest, there's this guy here. He got healed from leprosy. What leprosy? You know, stumble comes out of the temple. Who, who got cleansed? This guy right here. Oh, my God. Oh, praise the Lord. Who healed you? Oh, Jesus of Nazareth. What? Jesus of Nazareth. When was the last time we had a cleansing? I don't know, 30, 40 years ago? Really? It was a miracle. Well, who healed him? Jesus. Jesus healed him? Whoever this Jesus is must be really, really close to God. <laughs> or he begot himself as a testimony to them that God was working among them as a testimony. They're becoming a high priest that is above all other priests. That's the Lord Jesus. Book of Hebrews says we have a high priest that is, he's aware of all of our weaknesses and he shares with all of our infirmities. He knows who we are and he has compassion with us. He knows us and he can deal with us and he intercedes for us. The priest had to know that the high priest was coming. A testimony to them. Interesting, in the book of Acts, priests were more willing to accept the Lord, weren't they? They were much more open than the scribes and the Pharisees. Why? I believe it had to do with a lot of these testimonies. The priests had to do the work in the temple, and there were these miracles happening in there. Who did that to you? I mean, they, they couldn't deny it. Yeah, this guy, he, he's on the list. He's a leper, but he's not a leper anymore, and he says it's because of Jesus. And the priests had to deal with that. They, and they knew it was genuine, but they had to deal with the truth that Jesus had the power to heal, in this case, cleanse from leprosy. Amazing. Tells him to go, but he doesn't stay quiet. The news about him spread even more. And large crowds came together to hear him and to be healed of all their sickness. Look at verse 16. Yet he withdrew to deserted places and he prayed. Oh, this is beautiful. The life, the ministry of Jesus and his prayer life, it's unfathomable. It's amazing. Oh, if I can have just, just one-tenth of one percent of what Jesus, how Jesus was committed to prayer, I'd be all right. Uh, the book of Luke talks about the, the, the Jesus praying more than any other gospel uh, several times. Chapter 3, chapter 6, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 11. sees Jesus praying. And the cause of prayer was because he was thronged by all these people. There was large crowds following him. He had been known now as a miracle worker, as a healer. His, the reputation of Jesus was quite stirring throughout the area. People were coming. You'll see it in a, in a moment because... Jesus, because of that, Jesus withdrew himself. Several times he did that. Why? I mean, isn't it more important to just be around the people? Isn't it more important to just deal with people? Well, even the Son of God says, yes, it is important. But it's much more important to be with Abba. Oh, it's much more important to be with Abba. Oh, it's much more important to be with the Father and to know the Father's heart and to incline our ear to what the Father says. Then we can go and minister to the people. Then we can go and that's when Jesus went and he healed and he did all things according to the Father's will. But he never 
uncoupled ministry from prayer to the Father. He never said, well, that's ministry, and this is prayer. No, he always said, it's, it's because of prayer that I can do ministry. And that's the beautiful part about our Lord. If the Son of God need prayer, as has been said so many times, what does it tell about us? How much do we need prayer? Uh, I hope if somebody was writing a book about my life, uh, they can say, well, you know, chapter 3, chapter 5, chapter 6, you find in prayer. Not just some appendix at the end of the book saying, yeah, he prayed. <laughs> you know, that there were vivid chapters in my life that I could say I was praying, I was seeking the Lord. I hope that could be said about me. Got much to learn about prayer. Verse 17, one of those days, while he was teaching, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from the village of Galilee, Judea, and from Jerusalem. Now look at this. They were the priests are mentioned in the previous verse. And then comes the Pharisees and the scribes. These are the teachers of the law. Now, Pharisees were the ones who uh, basically tried to live according to the law, so much so that they were uh, zealous to the degree that the, everything had to be about the law, and they applied the law to their lives to such degree that they thought that righteousness would come from the law. They thought righteousness living by the law would make them right before God. Okay? Now, they had several problems. <laughs> they were right, and a lot of the things, they were right about the Bible. And there's one thing about... Um, teachings of the Pharisees, and we have to be careful with it. When we read about the Pharisees as Christians, as Christians, we automatically tune out, right? We automatically say, that's not for me. But I believe that many times the teachings of Jesus about the Pharisees teaches us about ourselves and their warnings about ourselves. Why? Because they consider themselves people of God. They were not a bunch of sinners, you know, sleeping around and smoking dope all the time. We consider them, oh, my goodness, Pharisees. They were people that practiced righteousness. They gave of everything they had, even their condiments. Now, how many people bring salt and offer it here? Or cumin, or cinnamon, or paprika? They did that. Oh, how righteous they were. Well, they brought it. Why? Because they said, everything belongs to God. That sounds really nice, isn't it? We might say that ourselves. Everything belongs to God, even my salt, my condiment, my pepper, my Dr. Pepper. I bring it all to the Lord. Tenth of one percent goes all to the Lord. And they did that. They prayed. They fasted three times a day. What's time we fasted and prayed? They did it three times a day? Goodness. These people practiced being, I mean, it was their life to be righteous. But they were so practiced, their, their own righteousness, they became self-righteous. They became inundated with pride and arrogance and the, the, they despised the people. They dis, it, was, it was a total hatred for the common people. In fact, the common people, the farmers, the, 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 the tax collectors, the prostitutes, they hated the Pharisees because they would block the way to the kingdom of God by putting all these things upon them that they wouldn't even lift a finger to do them. They would say things, yeah, do this, do this, and they didn't do it. But boy, if you didn't do it, they were on you. And they were arrogant, and they were proud, and they were hypocrites. Hmm. Sounds a lot like what I could be. I have so much knowledge, and so many times I've gone to church, and, and I give, and I serve, and all oh, those people. Oh! Tell them to go to the back of the church. Only Brad and I can sit up here because he is really just the righteous people, close to God right here. That's why there's only two people up here. <laughs> no, no kidding. Just, you know, that's how they would think. 
And, oh, the bombastic attitude. Oh, don't touch me. I'm praying. Don't bother me. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I gave this to the Lord. I can't give it to anybody else. Corban, they said. Corban, they only give it to God. They would not honor their parents because they thought they were doing a favor to God. Jesus says, you dishonor your parents by not doing what God said. And you make your traditions, oral traditions, invalidate the word of God. Hypocrites. You know, I would think of many times how the Lord dealt with the churches in the book of Revelation, the seven churches, and how much of almost the same, not the same words, but the same uh, uh, calling them to repentance are in the churches uh, about their idolatry, about their, but they're also about their, their leaving the Lord and leaving their first love. And so my point is, all the way around, long point, we have to, when you read about the Pharisees, don't tune out and say, oh, that must be for someone else. No, it's for me. It's so I don't become like that. They thought because they were Jews and they were in the in crowd that they were automatically in. Jesus says, no, someone's going to come in, tell you, you know, about your seats that you're sitting. You're sitting, you got the best seats in the house. Someone's going to come in and tell you, go to the back. <laughs> don't go to the back. <laughs> I mean, don't go to the front. Wait for somebody to bring you up to the front. It's about salvation, my friend. Humble yourself before God and he will lift you up. The Pharisee says, I will go in myself. I will sit in the best place. Jesus says, be careful. Someone's going to come in and tell you, go to the front, to, uh, to take you to go to the back. Anyway. Long story. The scribes, they knew the law. They, can, they, were, they were the ones who interpreted the law. They would write the law. They were absolutely experts in the law. And yet, have, they were the ones who were adamant against Jesus because they thought Jesus violated the law all the time because they did not understand the spirit of the law. They just thought the same thing. You know, they, they went by the law, and they didn't understand the righteousness that does not come by the law. It comes by faith in Jesus Christ. And they were unwilling to receive it. Anyway, that's who they were. Verse 17, they came from Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. They knew about Jesus. His reputation had gone everywhere. And look what this verse says. But the power of the Lord was in him to heal. Fascinating verse. I don't have time to get into it too much. But think about this. Jesus did everything according to the power of the Holy Spirit. He had left, he had let his divine authority and privilege, and he had put it on the shelf. Philippians 2 tells us that. He lived as a man submitted to God, even though he was God. He was God the Son, but he submitted himself to the will of the Father, and everything he did was according to the power of the Holy Spirit. Think about the humility of Christ. Him being God, humbled himself and became a man, and he did not use his divine authority or privilege for his own cause, for his own basically for his own advantage. He submitted himself to the one who judges righteously. Even when they accused him, even when they turn against him, he did not use his divine privilege and authority for his own taste, for his own advantage. He allowed the Lord's will to be done in his life. And he did everything according to the power of the Holy Spirit. So the miracles, by the power of the Holy Spirit. All the things that he did was according to God's plan and purpose. He was a man, but he was God. Confused? Hopefully not. Hopefully you'll begin to seek more who Jesus really is and who he was and how he ministered on the earth. It says, verse 18, Then some of the men carrying a stretcher came with the paralyzed man, and they tried to bring him and send him down before him, but they were, could not find the way in. Now, um, I'm going to read very quickly in the book of Mark. Mark has another part of the story. It's in Mark chapter 2. 
And uh, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but it's in Mark 2. Uh, gives you a little more taste of the story. Mark 2, verse 1, he says, He entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together, so there was no longer any room to receive anybody, not even at the door. The point was that this, door, this place was packed. The house was absolutely packed. Nobody can get in. Almost nobody can get out. And he says, uh, Immediately many gathered together, and there was no room there, verse, uh, verse 2, and he preached the word to them. Jesus was teaching in this house. Luke doesn't tell us all about that, but Mark tells us a little more of the story. And he preached to them, and they came down, uh, they came to them, uh, uh, to Jesus, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. Mark tells us that there were four friends of this paralytic, and they couldn't get into the house. They couldn't even get near him because of the crowd, so they took the roof off. Now, that's desperation, my friend. That is somebody that really wants to know Jesus. The paralytic, or his friends, the leper, come out of the woodworks. And he was completely isolated. Comes out just to talk to Jesus. These men, they know Jesus is in the house. Oh, man, oh, well, we can't get in. Too bad. Go home. No, let, we have to find a way. We have to find a way to get to Jesus. Hope we're that, hope we're that desperate to find the Lord. They took the roof off. Somebody comes down, imagine you were teaching here, somebody comes out and boom, take the roof off. What's going on up there? We came to hear the word of God. We came to hear the word of God. We know the word of God is being taught here. And people were desperate to hear the word of God. Hope that's the case for us too. And they came and they brought him and they lowered him uh, through the roof on a bed, on a stretcher, in which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus saw their faith and he said to them, to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. Now go back to Luke. It tells us that Jesus saw their faith. Whose faith? Their friends. Friends have faith. I don't know about the paralytic yet, but I'm sure he's dealing with something in his heart. I believe um, we'll deal with it at the end. I believe there's something uh, amazingly a blessing here in this passage about the paralytic. And look at Jesus' response. Seeing their faith, Jesus says, Friend, your sins are forgiven you. To the paralytic, your sins are What a response. Wait a minute, Jesus, we came here to heal him, uh, to, to be healed. Uh, what are you talking about, our sins? Your sins are forgiven. What does that have to do with, what, sin? We just wanted him to be healed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said. Verse 21, the scribes and the Pharisees began to murmur. Who is this man? This blasphemous man. Who can forgive sin but God alone? And they were right. Who can forgive sin but God alone? That's true. But they had a preconceived idea about Jesus. See, instead of saying, oh, Jesus said I could be forgiven, he must be God, because only God can forgive sin. Instead of just taking it for what he said, they had this preconceived idea that he's not God, he's not from God. In another passage in Matthew, they couldn't deny the miracles, but they attributed them to Satan, which is an ultimate blasphemy, which has led Jesus to say this is the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And from then point on, Israel fell into the nation and the Pharisees and the people who attributed those miracles to Jesus, fell into some grievous sins, my friend. There are some, some amazing things that happened in Matthew when they attributed to Jesus the miracles that he did to Satan, to Beelzebub. But anyway, the, these people were there. The Pharisees are complaining. They're saying, uh, who can forgive sin? They have a preconceived idea that Jesus is not God. So they're saying, out with him. We don't care. How can he do this? He's blaspheming. Verse 22 Perceiving their thoughts, Jesus replied, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or get up and walk? Answer, 
Which is easier to say? The answer is, your sins are forgiven. That's the easiest thing to say. Why? You don't have to prove it. You can just say, John, your sins are forgiven. Have a good day. It's easy to say. I don't have to prove anything. It's harder to say, get up and walk, because you have to prove it. But what is the real issue? Your sins are forgiven. Why? Man always looks on the outward appearance, doesn't he? But man, God looks on the heart. And there's something about our nature, sinful nature, that God needs to deal with priority over anything else. We think of the miracle. Oh, man, we need a miracle. We need a miracle. God thinks, I need to change my heart. To God, a miracle is easy. To heal someone is easy. Salvation demands that that person receives by faith what God offers. What is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? But so you may know that the Son of Man has authority. And here's the, 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 the clincher here. He uses this title, Son of Man, 25 times in Luke. Son of Man. And this title, unique to Jesus, found in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel, one like the Son of Man coming in the clouds. But in Luke, he expands. Jesus expands that terminology to, to mean that he is the Son of Man because he has authority on the earth to forgive sins. He's also the Son of Man because he will be given over to sinful men and die and three days later rise again. It speaks of his suffering. And then he uses it to, like Daniel, the Son of Man will come in the clouds in great glory. He will, you will see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. It speaks of the return of Jesus. So this, this title, the Son of Man, is magnificent if you think about it. It is the title and ministry of Jesus Christ, what he came to do. Did he have authority on the earth? Absolutely he did. Absolutely without a doubt. He can forgive sin. He's God. He can do the miracles? Absolutely. By the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit was upon him all the time. He is God. He could have done any miracle he wanted. But also speaks of his return. The Son of Man is going to return. And every time the Bible speaks of the judgment upon man, it's always the Son of Man. Always the Son of God. Never the Son of God. Why? You see, my friend, God is going to judge our sins. Not on the basis of Jesus being God. He is God. But on the basis that Jesus Christ became a man. And there's no excuse that we can bring to God about our sins that he wouldn't understand. Some people say, oh, you know, God, you know. God doesn't know what I'm going through. He didn't live on this side of the tracks. He didn't have the disadvantages that I have. He didn't have the things that I dealt with. My friend, yes, he did. Every single one. Every, in fact, every single excuse that we bring to God on why we don't receive him or accept him or trust him, it's answered in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Wrong side of the tracks? Lived in Nazareth. If you know anything about Nazareth, you, let's say you wouldn't live there. You wouldn't want your enemies to live there. It was the wrong side of the tracks. He was a Jew. He was hated by all nations. He was poor. He wasn't really a wealthy individual. He was poor. Working class. He worked. He was betrayed. You've been betrayed? You've been falsely accused? You ever had somebody reject you? Trade you for someone else? Happened to him. And yet he says of himself that he came to save that which was lost. Oh, Lord. So much to learn. And he says to him, 
Verse 24, but you know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He told them to the paralyzed man, get up, pick up your bed, your stretcher. And uh, the word stretcher there, is, it's basically like a wood pallet. I, I mean, where I work, we have these wood pallets. And basically, if you go to third world countries, people live on them. They don't have those you know, orthopedic, uh, um, what are those beds that they have now? Sleep comfort beds. They don't have those things. There. They sleep on a pallet, on a bed, even to this day. People in the third world sleep on cots, on beds, on, made out of wood. That's what they would be, that's where this man was, on a stretcher, uh, a bed made out of wood. Pick up your stretcher, your bed, and walk, and get up, and go home. Immediately he got up before them, picked up what, had been laying on the, uh, uh, what he'd been laying on, and went home glorifying God. And the teacher and everybody was ast uh, astounded. They were amazed, giving glory to God, and they were filled with awe, fear, godly fear. And they said, we have seen incredible things today. One thing that's amazing, this man, there was a, there was a, um, a concept in the Jew, with the Jews at the time of Jesus that they believed that sin, um, I'm sorry, sickness, was a, um, was a result of sin. When they walked up to this blind man in John chapter 9, they asked Jesus, the disciples asked Jesus, did this man sin or, did some, or his parents did? Jesus said, neither. But this is what's done to the glory of God. Uh, there's a concept, even, even among Christians, I, I, hate to, I hate to even admit it, that we think of um, if you're sick, it's because of sin. Uh, that's not ultimately true. Okay, I hope you understand that. It's not ultimately true. There are consequences of sin. That's absolutely true. But sin itself, uh, sickness itself is not caused by sin. Uh, and they had this idea of it. So even in Job, Job tells us very clearly that all of the things that happened to Job was not because he sinned. He was a righteous man. And so we have this idea here that your sins are forgiven you. And this man is healed, and this man begins to walk with God. And actually the idea there is that he actually can now walk with God, but he had to pick up what he had been laying on, and he had to go home. The idea there is think about our faith and salvation. This is salvation, my friend. He glorifies God, a.k.a. he comes to know God and begins to give him glory. When you are saved, when you are uh, forgiven of your sins, you give glory to God. This man, flooded by his sins, flooded by what he had done, God deals with his sin. Your sins are forgiven. Oh, I believe this man had such an incredible burden, incredible guilt upon what had happened to him. And I think the, the, the reason why he was sick, and this is my own conjecture, you can take it, take it or leave it. I believe this man, um, the result of his, uh, the reason why he was sick is because of his sins in a way that he had been sinful sexually and had become paralyzed by some kind of sexual transmitted disease. I said, where'd you get that? And I said, I didn't, nothing in here told me that. But what I'm saying is I believe this man was such in a sinful way that the disease that he caught, and there's some STDs that will make you paralyzed. Uh, there's some STDs that will cause you to be paralyzed. And this man, I believe, had some kind of sinful past that he lived with and dealt with. And for Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven, was something for him to know, something that only God knew. See, there's something about his life that his friend just brought him and said, we want this man to be right. <laughs> we want him to walk. But he knew there was something more to that, right? And Jesus knew there was something more to that. So what did he, Jesus could have said, get up and walk, man. But he wanted to teach. 
to the Pharisees, to the people around them, something more profound than just a miracle. I want you to know, he would have said to this man, I know what you, were, what you did. I know what you were doing. I know how promiscuous you were. But I want to tell you, your sins are forgiven. That would have been enough, my friend. That would have been, oh, the God who knows my sins forgave my sins. But I'll do one more, Jesus said. So everybody knows that the Son of Man has power to forgive sin. I'm not only going to forgive your sins, I'm going to heal you. Get up and walk with me. That, those two stories, as we finish, these two stories are pregnant just fully to do with salvation, faith, and repentance. These men had to humble themselves. These men who had sinned, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, right there and then was forgiven of their sins and healing them and telling them to walk with him now. And that's us. A leper, a paralyzed man, I couldn't walk with Jesus. I could not do it. My sins were ever present before the Lord. I knew what I've done. And many times, you may not know what I've done, but Jesus knew what I did. And he had to forgive me. He knew. My conscience bore witness of my sins. And only he can forgive me. There was no amount of good works that could have taken what I've done. And I'm sure that man felt the same way. Now, I've never been paralyzed because of, because of an STD, but this man, I believe something happened to him that drastic. And his conscience was so deep in shame and humiliation because of what he'd done. In one moment, Jesus heals him. Your sins are forgiven. Oh, praise the Lord. Hey, by the way, now you're going to get up and walk with me. Really? Yes. And he went home glorifying God. I hope today your sins are forgiven. I hope today you've made that issue done away with at the cross. I hope today that whatever past you had, whatever thing happened to you, whatever promiscuity, whatever happened, whatever it was, I don't know, I don't need to know. Jesus knows, and as he was lowered down that, through that roof, Jesus knew, and he told them directly, son, your sins are forgiven. I know. It's almost like Jesus says, I know, and it's okay. I have forgiven you. Nobody else knew. And they're probably wondering, what did he say? I thought he wanted to make him walk. No, he first had to deal with the person that sinned. And that's what Jesus does. It's personal. That's the way our God works. He loves us. It's personal. Your sins are forgiven. Now get up with me. Now you walk with me. Now you're my disciple. Go home. He went glorifying God. People were excited. And they're glorifying God as well except the Pharisees and the scribes. They were like, what did he do? What did he say? He's blasphemous. For, he, he can't be. He, that must be. He's God. And my friend, leave it alone there. These people are lost. They're confused. They don't know. But if you know, if the Lord is tugging on your heart today, you know. It's just it's like he knows. He knows and you know. Give it up. Your sins are forgiven. That's what you want to hear. That's what I needed to hear way back then, and I'm glad those words are in the lips of Jesus. Son, your sins are forgiven. Get up and walk. Because your sins are forgiven, get up and walk. Why did he have to take his bed? Because Jesus told us to take up our cross and follow him. We never forget where we came from. That which our old nature was crucified to 
is something we have to keep in mind all the time. I'm just as sinful as that man. I was just as sinful as that person. I was just as sinful as that guy. I can't. I'm not better than that guy. I'm just as, I'm just as sinful as he was. Jesus just forgave me. Look, I have my cross to bear. I have my, I have my reminder of, who, of where God saved me from. Praise the Lord. We never forget that. Let's pray. Lord, in Jesus' name, I thank you, Lord, for this particular message. Lord, has to do with salvation, has to do with faith, has to do with forgiveness, has to do with a man whose sins were forgiven. Oh, Lord. It is the cry of everyone in the Bible that were righteous that said, oh, if God would count our sins, who could stand? If God would take note of our sins, who would be able to stand? The answer is absolutely no one. But blessed is the man whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, who the Lord does not, he does not regard his sins, he has forgiven them. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. Oh, Lord, what an incredible blessing to hear those words. And Lord, and I heard them, not audibly, but through your word, that you have forgiven our sins. And it brings great joy and such satisfaction to know, Lord, that you have forgiven us. And we can walk with you. It's forgiven. Cleansed. Leprosy, no more. Paraly paralyzed, no more. Whatever we did to confine us to that, to that stretcher, to that bed, it's forgiven. It's done. We can get up and walk with the Son of God. Lord, thank you for those wonderful words. And I pray that everyone here would know that those words were said about them if they were made right with you, Lord. Those words have been said about each individual here. But Lord, and if they haven't, if they have not heard those words, they have not dealt with their sin, Lord, today, I pray that they would come desperate, maybe like Naaman in the, in the Old Testament, willing to be cleansed, or like the leper, willing to be cleansed, or like the paralytic, just wanting to get right. He just thought he was going to walk again, but he, Jesus dealt with something much deeper. That's our sin. Thank you, Lord, for hearing those words. And I pray that everyone here would be right with you, Lord, through the blood of Jesus Christ. That would make things right. Whatever passed, whatever thing kept us paralyzed, it's done. Let's walk with Jesus. Let's walk with the Son of God. Let's do his will. Let's walk in his light. Let's do practice his truth. Lord, that would be the cry of my heart today. Blessed is the man whose sins are forgiven. I pray, Lord, that that would be the cry of everyone's heart here today and that that would bring great joy. And we will be worshiping and praising God. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. If you need prayer today, maybe, maybe your sins are heavy and maybe your sins are now being reminded, oh man, he knows. It's either going to do two things. He knows and you run away like Adam, or he knows and I need to get things right. Come to the fountain. It's full of blood, good blood, cleansing blood. Get right with him. Your sins are forgiven. That's what the Lord wants to tell you. Get up and walk. Amen? Amen.